I'm locked and loaded for this edition of the Cigar Dave Show. Here's the rundown. Number one, cigars are back in Congress. Number two, big birthday for the oldest living Pearl Harbor survivor. Number three, enemies of pleasure, enemies of meat, and now enemies of gas stoves. Number four, Costco rotisserie chicken under attack by Alita Chef. Number five, globalist enemies of America and enemies of freedom converge on Davos, Switzerland. And number six, change your bed sheets. The Cigar Dave Show is presented by Gurkha, the world's finest cigars, including the new Gurkha Pure Evil. Blended for cigar connoisseurs, able to handle a full-flavored cigar loaded with strength, power, and richness. Don't let the name fool you. Gurkha Pure Evil is pure cigar pleasure. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. And by Davidoff of Geneva and their Avo portfolio of cigars, including the Avo Heritage. Crafted through centuries of traditions, Avo Heritage was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar with strength, complexity, and impeccable smoothness. Savor every note of the spice-laden Avo Heritage. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. This is the Cigar Dave Show. With the general. Well, I can tell you that even though brainless Biden was caught in the classified documents cookie jar, I am conducting alpha broadcast maneuvers front and center, not only from Command Center Alpha and Humidor 1A, but in a special skiff that is a secure cigar ignition facility. There will be no laws broken. During the lightation ceremony today, as I'm in my secure cigar ignition for, uh, facility, that you can be sure of. It is unbelievable what we are seeing. The hypocrisy, the elitist by the Dems, by the libs. It's very clear that the Dems now are attacking their own. Sharks on sharks. They want brainless Biden out. That is very apparent. But don't worry. All the classified documents were locked up next to his Corvette in his garage. Good luck with that. As always, Cigar Dave, the general, your global five-star general alpha male-in-chief, extending you a long-ass greeting and salutation, a long-ass snappy salute. Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the alpha. Make America great again. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. It is, of course, your opportunity this week to enjoy cigars, spirits, in an environment where there are no enemies of pleasure. You will not be harassed. You will be welcomed. This is a no nagging zone. First up, good news. Cigars are back in Congress. Republican members are now free to light up their cigars in their congressional offices, and you'll never believe who is having a conniption fit, who is melting down the press corps. The Lib media going crazy because cigars are now being lit. The wonderful, succulent, sensual, sexy aroma of cigars is now wafting through the House of Representatives portion of the U.S. Capitol. Let me explain. There is a new rule in the GOP-controlled House of Representatives. Republican members are now allowed to light up cigars in their congressional offices. Now, let me give you a little background. 
1997, an executive order signed by Bill Clinton, of course, probably demanded by his witch of a wife, Hillary, felon Hillary, back in uh, 1997, banned smoking in many federal buildings, but only those under control of the executive branch. The laws in Washington, D.C. similarly banned smoking in indoor spaces, but that does not apply to congressional offices. Hmm. So there is a loophole. And of course, when Nancy Pelosi came in, she parked her broomstick in the Speaker of the House parking place right up front and said, no more smoking of cigars in congressional offices. Well, there is a new ruler of the Roos. It is now Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. And since the House runs their own house, so to speak, with Republicans retaking the majority, and now that Kevin McCarthy is in charge, the allowing of cigar smoking in congressional offices has been approved. New regime comes new laws, new changes. So it is a fantastic day in Congress. I can just see my good buddy, Glenn Loop, who is one of the uh, uh, lobbyists for the Cigar Association, uh, a correction, the Premium Cigar Association, the PCA. I can just see him now going into my good buddy, Nick Langworthy, who is the newly elected congressman from the from Western New York and the southern tier of Western New York. I can just see... Glenn Loop walking into my buddy Nick Langworthy's office and them firing up cigars. In fact, I may have to give Nick, I'll, I'll even go to the swamp to be able to smoke a cigar in the offices of Nick Langworthy and, of course, uh, many of the other members of the House who are cigar-friendly. So indoor smoking, specifically cigars, allowed on the House side of the Capitol now that Republicans have taken control. And one of the big cigar smokers actually is the uh, head of the Rules Committee, Tom Cole. And Tom has long been a very important friend to the cigar industry, loves cigars, and the aroma of cigars has been streaming through his office and apparently driving the lib media insane. Here are some of the social media postings, which I find quite amusing. This is from uh, Patricia Zengerly, or Zengerl, of Reuters. She says, so there's indoor smoking on the House side of the Capitol now that the Republicans have taken control. Washington, D.C. law bans smoking in all indoor place spaces, but it doesn't apply to the private offices of members of Congress. Never has. So when you have a change in party control, she says, they move offices like they did if the member who moves into the office is, in this, is, as in this case, a cigar smoker, you have smoke. The other social media postings, one came from Ursula Perano, who I don't, uh, I don't even know who she's from, but one of, the, one of the lib media reporters says, there has indeed been some cigar hotboxing happening in a certain rules committee chairman's office, which is nearby the House press gallery. And the smell is dot, 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 strong. Good. That is the smell of pleasure, Ursula. Maybe you should have some pleasure in your life because we know that most libs and dems are miserable. Maybe you should try a cigar. 
Not a bad thing that we go back to the old smoke-filled back rooms filled with the wonderful aroma of cigars. Maybe more deals would get done. Maybe there'd be more cooperation. She said that she went on to say that, uh, that maybe they could move Tom Cole, his office, somewhere else because it's driving the press crazy. Here is another member of the Lib Media, Haley Bird Wilt, associate editor of The Dispatch, said Tom Cole should be speaker so he can smoke his cigars in the speaker's office far away from me instead of the rules office right next to the press gallery where I have to smell it. Oh, boo fucking who? Ooh, too bad. We're back. Republicans are back. Cigar connoisseurs are back. That's the way it should be. Let's hope the Republicans maintain the majority for the next thousand years. Heather Cagle of Punchbowl News said, The smell has made it down to the second floor. It almost knocked me out yesterday. Boo-hoo. Too damn bad. I love to see these libs melt down. You have to remember something about Democrats and libs. They're miserable people. They only derive pleasure from infringing on the rights of others. They love to create laws that take away people's pleasure, people's rights, people's enjoyment. Later on in this edition of the Cigar Dave Show, we'll talk about the enemies of pleasure going after your gas cooktop, your gas range, your gas stove. Because they came up with some nonsensical bullshit health uh, study that they're quoting. These are people that have nothing better to do in their lives. I have stated this all along for many, many years. Dems, libs, socialists, they're miserable people. They have no happiness. You and I as alphas, as happy people, cigar connoisseurs, freedom lovers, we look at everything in a positive light. To us, it's not partly cloudy, it's partly sunny. But to libs, socialists, dems, enemies of pleasure, they look at everything as partly cloudy. It's doom and gloom. Everything is miserable. And I really, to a degree, feel sorry for those bastards. Because they don't know how to enjoy life. They don't know how to enjoy themselves. If you ever go to watch a Democrat convention, it's always about the misery. Everything in this country is miserable. I mean, Florida's doing great economically. Freedom State, everybody's happy. But you've got Democrats. The, the gal that ran, that was the former uh, agriculture commissioner, Nikki Freed, I call her Nikki Weed, big, big cannabis proponent, big cannabis lobbyist, hands her, has her hands in the, in the, her paws and mitts in the cannabis till, ran for governor. She thought she would be a shoe-in. She would be the Democrat nominee until Charlie Crist, the former Republican governor, former, well, actually, he was a congressman until he resigned when he ran full-time for governor, former Republican, turned independent, turned Democrat, ran against her, and creamed her. She was smeared by Charlie Crist, a former Republican. She thought she had it. She was licking her chops, and everything that Governor DeSantis did, she went after. I mean, ludicrous things. Oh, we should have more masking. We should keep restaurants shut down. More vaccinations. And now it turns out 
After the first few months, DeSantis did lock things down and quickly changed and said, we can't go on like this. And he was right. He was right. And look at all what we are finding now. We're finding that the, the just perverse lawlessness that was practiced by Fuhrer Tony Fauci, by the CDC, the FUDA, by the medical profession, limiting available cheap therapeutics by Big Pharma. We saw that this could have been handled and eliminated months. We could have made the Wuhan virus a non-entity, a non, a non, you know, limited the number of deaths. Instead of a million plus deaths, we would have had far, far fewer. I would say probably over 90%. It's amazing. Now, all of a sudden, the facts are coming out about ivermectin, even though, from a clinical perspective, physicians that were treating it with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, they knew that it was working. They could see it. But yet, you had the lib media, you had the Dems, you had evil tech, you had evil big pharma, you had the FUDA, CDC, the government industrial complex, all against any form of cheap therapeutic so they could push an expensive vaccine. You know, Pfizer last year, 2021, half of their profits, half of their $60 billion in profits, $30 billion came from the Wuhan vaccine. If you look at TV commercials today, if you're watching sports or news, you'll see they have these commercials. You think they're from the government. They're not. They hardly say Pfizer until the end. You should get an approved treatment. Well, who makes the only approved treatment? which is, by the way, not even a great treatment, as we've seen from Pfizer. Their supposed therapeutic causes you to not only, it causes a rebound effect. You, 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 it whacks the Wuhan and you get it again very quickly thereafter. Ivermectin, cheap pennies. Hydroxychloroquine, cheap pennies, generic, readily available, safe. But no. And now you see them talking about get another vaccine. Sure, so you can get clot shot and drop dead. We're seeing young athletes we're seeing young kids. I just saw earlier this week a, an athlete at the Air Force Academy on the football team. What was he, 20 or 19 or 20, walking to class? They call it an emergency event. He dropped dead. That is not normal. When we see kids a week or two getting the, uh, the vaccine, young kids, five, six, dying, that is not normal. I don't ever remember hearing news stories the last 30, 40 years of young adults, athletes around the world, kids just dropping dead. And we're seeing patients. I mean, Hank uh, Aaron got a clot shot, got the vaccine, and I'm vaccinated. I took two. I believe the bullshit. No boosters for me, however. Once I saw what was going on, I said, no chance, no way. Hank Aaron took the the vaccine within, I think, a week. He was dead. So we're seeing now all sorts of things coming out. But the point being is that when you look at these Dems, these libs, these enemies of freedom, they're miserable people. They're miserable. They can't stand the fact that in Florida we're thriving, Texas thriving, all the red states thriving. And yet you look at their blue states, they're People are leaving in droves. So I think it is wonderful that cigars are back at the Capitol. Let 
people enjoy, let congressmen, let people who are having meetings, let them enjoy it in their own offices. Now, I have no problem if somebody says, hey, would you mind putting one of those like air, uh, you know, air uh, cleaners, air scrubbers? There's a small one you can buy. They're a couple hundred bucks. I've got one. Not only, I've got one in several rooms because I enjoy smoking cigars not only in my Pleasure Palace Cigar Lounge, the Cigar Abe Lounge, but in other spots. In my office, I enjoy, I enjoy uh, uh, at Command Center Alpha. I've got one of these. It's probably about 20, 24 inches high. It's very quiet. Works like a charm. But the libs and the dems just miserable because the wonderful, sensual, exotic, erotic aroma of cigars is now wafting through the halls of Congress, and I couldn't be happier. I'm thrilled the Republicans are in charge. And let's hand it to the Freedom 20. Those members of the Freedom Caucus that stood tall, that got rightful demands uh, acquiesced to by, by the leadership, including McCarthy. McCarthy knew if the vote Went last, he was voted in last uh, Friday night, late. If it went into Monday, he was finished. So he read the tea leaves. He saw the handwriting on the wall. And to Matt Gates and to Lauren Boebert and some of the other uh, uh, congressmen good, I think from Virginia, they stood tall. Bravo to them. Because now... The rules have been changed so that now you can't have these omnibus bills. They need 72 hours to look at bills. They have to be individual items, not things that are stacked up with 50, 75, 100 different or thousands of items, 6,000 page bills. Bravo to them. Maybe the Freedom 20 were back if we can only get the Senate and get Freedom-type caucus members in the Senate, not these old hags like Marblemouth Mitch McConnell and John Cornyn of Texas, and Romney, not all these enemies of America, these rhinos, maybe we can get some change in this country. But I, I am very proud of them standing tall. I think it is fantastic. Now, here's some good news. Not more good news. Not just here's good news, more good news. The oldest living Pearl Harbor survivor will be marking his 105th birthday the end of this month on January 30th. Joseph Eskenazi of Redondo Beach, California, was sent, took a train from his home in Redondo Beach, California, last Friday for a journey to New Orleans to the World War II Museum. By the way, if you've never been to the National D-Day Museum in New Orleans, you owe it to yourself to visit. It is fantastic. It is in Incredibly, uh, it's educational, it is emotional, they have a, a, a very unique uh, multi, I think kind of like a multi-sensory movie experience where the, sh- the seats rattle, there's smoke, it takes you right into D-Day. Tom Hanks narrated, I don't know if they're still showing it, I know they rotate various uh, documentaries and movies and presentations, but fabulous. I told my good buddy Jeff Borchowitz, the founder and proprietor of Corona Cigars, a number of years ago when the cigar convention was in New Orleans, and he had his kids and family with him. And I said, Jeff, before you... And he heard me talk about the National D-Day Museum. I said, you got to, it's, it's six blocks from the convention center. Jeff, you got to go see it. He took his wife, uh, the warden, as I call her, Tanya, and his two kids... And they absolutely came away amazed. They said it was absolutely fantastic. 
you must visit the National D-Day Museum. And why is it in New Orleans? Well, a very important part of the effort, D-Day, the, uh, uh, some of the boats, the landing craft, were manufactured in, that changed the war really, were manufactured in New Orleans. So the visit was thanks to the Soaring Valor Program, a project of actor Gary Sinise's charitable foundation dedicated to aiding veterans and first responders, and they arranged trips to the museum for World War II veterans and their guardians. So he came, uh, boarded an Amtrak train for the journey to New Orleans. He was a private first class in the Army when the Pearl Harbor attack occurred. And he said that, he remembers being awakened when the bomb, a bomb fell, didn't explode, near where he was sleeping at Schofield Barracks. Reverberating explosions as the battleship USS Arizona was sunk by the Japanese bombs and machine gun fire from enemy planes kicking up dust around him after he volunteered to drive a bulldozer across a field so it could be used to clear runways. And he said, I didn't even know why. My hand just went up when they asked for volunteers. Nobody else raised their hand because they knew it meant death. I did it unconsciously. A brave American, a true American patriot, part of the greatest generation. He will be celebrating his 105th birthday on January 30th. The museum opened in 2000 as the National D-Day Museum. It's expanded in size and scope since then. And to me, you must visit this museum. It really Now they call it the National World War II Museum. So it's changed. It was the National D-Day Museum. Now it's the National World War II Museum. But to Joseph Eskenazi, Redondo Beach, California, 105 World War II veteran on behalf of every American, even those Americans that don't know jack squat about World War II history. And don't get me started on that. Again, I told you I was fire up, uh, alphas and lieutenants, and I mean it. Don't get me fired up about that. The lack of history being taught in our schools is a crime and a sin. But we owe a great debt of gratitude. A snappy, patriotic salute to Joseph Eskenazi, Redondo Beach. He will turn 105, and he visited with his great-grandson, who's about to turn five, his 21-month-old great-granddaughter, Six other World War II veterans, all in their 90s, all came as well, and we thank them. Again, the National World War II Museum, New Orleans. I'm telling you, I'm not a big New Orleans fan. It's hot. It's humid. The the French Quarter in the morning smells like puke and piss. I'm just being honest. But I will tell you, the National World War II Museum is worth the trip. Even if you go for a weekend... I'm telling you, spend a day or two at the National World War II Museum. And it's been a while since I've gone back, and I want to visit again. Maybe I'll do that as a a nice long weekend trip down the road. So great news. A very happy birthday to the oldest living Pearl Harbor survivor, marking his 105th birthday. They were, and they are, the greatest generation. Sadly, we are losing many of them. We must keep their stories, their history, their memories alive. We would all be speaking German right now if it weren't, or Japanese, if it weren't for our great, the greatest generation, our World War II veterans. Many of them, remember, were 17. They lied about their, about their age so they could go fight because of patriotism. And I've always stated, I really believe that between high school and college, there should be one year of mandatory national service, whether you go in the armed forces, you go in some other volunteer service, 
I believe that our nation's youth would absolutely have a far more or a far better appreciation of this country, of freedom, even though they've been brainwashed, they would go see that socialism and Marxism isn't the answer. Unfortunately, a lot of Gen Z today, the, the younger set, they're being brainwashed starting in elementary school, in high school, certainly in college. And their hatred of America is beyond disturbing and pathetic. That needs to change. One year of mandatory service. If you live in Israel, whether you are a boy or girl, at 18, you mandatorily serve two years in the Army, in the Armed Forces, Army, Air Force, Navy. Everybody serves. Everybody has a vested stake in the survival of their country. We need that here in the United States of America. Quick note, as we start off, uh, beginning of the new year, I was just thinking about this the last few weeks, towards the end of 2022 and the first few weeks, I'm going to make some changes. I think as anything, you always evolve, you change, you, you look at things and say, hey, can we do this differently? Maybe we could do something uh, a little bit better. And I have made the decision that our Bold Alpha podcast, where we have our weekly spirit celebration, which we have dropped every Thursday for the last several years, we're going to change that. We're going to now incorporate our Bold, Bold Alpha Weekly Spirit Celebration into our Cigar Dave Show International Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony. Tommy Diadio, the Senior VP of Spirits Procurement for Corona Cigars in Orlando, Tampa, soon to be Sarasota, and our resident sommelier, we will now conduct the weekly Bold Alpha weekly spirit selection within the International Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony. I just think it's easier rather than having people go to separate podcasts. And I, I would say this, we're going to probably do more short Cigar Dave shows during the week. We always do our Saturday show, which is tradition for the 25 years we did our our terrestrial broadcast, our syndicated broadcast, and we had many people said, General, bring that back. Do it in podcast form. We listened. But I said that there are times when we may not do it on a Saturday. We may do a shorter uh, uh, show, maybe during the week, and we will do more shows. So, for example, I've got something I want to get to next week. I don't want to devote time in this show, but I could do certainly five, seven, ten minutes in a special Cigar Dave show segment or Cigar Dave show that drops middle of the week, and we'll probably uh, do that. But I did state this. Because I received some complaints during the holidays when we took some time off. General, you weren't there on, on Saturday, and if you don't continue doing these uh, Saturday shows, I won't listen. Well, let me make it very clear. I'm doing this because I enjoy it. I don't need to do it. I'm doing it because I enjoy it, and I'd like to do it. And I stated that when we started doing the Saturday podcasts, that there will be times I'm going to take time off. And I'm not going to necessarily do it every week. Now, sometimes we'll have a pre-recorded interview or a guest, and we'll run that. But there are times that we will not be doing the Cigar Dave show on a Saturday. Maybe we do a shorter show during the week. I've got some other things that I need to do or travel, whatever the case may be. So I've made, and I told this right off the top when we went to the Saturday show, the second that I'm not enjoying it anymore or no longer wish to do it, we won't do it. So... For what people are paying to listen to the show, free as you know, don't quetch, don't complain. I love when people send me emails saying, now General, you know, you only went 45 minutes instead of the hour and a half. 
I'm sorry. Again, for what you're paying for the show, don't kvetch, don't complain. Because there's going to be a time when I say, you know what, I'm kind of done with it. I've done it now. It's been 27 years. We're going to be going on 28 in July. And when I started the show back in 1995 with one hour on WSUN in Tampa, I didn't know how long it was going to go. I mean, I thought, who knows? I got a six-month commitment when we started. I remember, I'll never forget Eric Newman or J.C. Newman when I first went to see him talking about the show. He said, well, how many episodes did they guarantee you? I said, oh, no, I'm good for six months. He didn't think it was going to last six months. So here we are almost 27 and three quarters, almost 28 years later. The second I don't enjoy it, the second that I say, you know, there's something else I want to do or want to try, and they're going, they were going to come to that time. I'm going to tell you that right now. I've got some other items on the agenda, some other perspective shows that I'm looking at. There will be a time when I say we are going to retire the Cigar Dave show fully. We're not there yet. But to those that send me emails complaining that it's too short, that we didn't have an episode, be thankful that we are still on. Because I can tell you there are many shows that didn't last 27 years. Many shows where hosts just said, you know what, I'm not enjoying it anymore. And In fact, I had a conversation not that long ago with um, another syndicated talk presenter who said, you know, I've been doing this show, I've been thinking I'm kind of getting tired of it. And I said, look, you're at a point where you can make that decision. So for those of you that send me emails, oh, I'm complaining, it's too short, I'm missing it, don't bother sending them to me. As I said, I do this show because I enjoy it. I do it because I still find uh, it entertains me, entertains you. But the second that I'm not enjoying it, I don't need to do this show. I'm not doing the Cigar Dave show because I have to. I'm doing it because I desire to. There's a very big difference. So to those that are kvetching, stop the kvetching. To those of you that listen, I appreciate your loyalty. Many of you have emailed me saying they listened to me starting the first week when we were on in Tampa, the first few months we were on in syndication in December of 1995 and then going uh, over the years. So I absolutely appreciate uh, your listening and your support of the show and now the Cigar Dave Show podcast. So with that, when we return, I will enjoy the International Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony with our updated Bold Alpha Weekly Spirits Celebration. Gurkha has long been the king when it comes to opulent, grandly made cigars. And the new Gurkha Pure Evil more than lives up to that legacy. Gurkha originally launched the Pure Evil 15 years ago as a limited edition cigar. They went back to their blend vault. They tweaked the blend to add more flavor, more complexity. The result is a Gurkha Pure Evil that is loaded with flavor, full body, Full notes of richness. Habano wrapper, Nicaraguan binder, Nicaraguan filler. Don't let the name fool you. The Gurkha Pure Evil is pure cigar pleasure. Gurkha, the world's finest cigars. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers.
Well, I have just pulled out a cigar from my humidor here that I can tell you I have been aging at least got to be five years. And I remember when I received this cigar as one of these cigar retailers conventions when Davidoff introduced the new Davidoff Yamasa, which is named after the rich red soil of the Yamasa Valley. Now, this was the Davidoff Yamasa very interesting cigar because it features a wrapper from the Dominican Republic from the Yamasa region a binder from the Dominican Republic also from the Yamasa region the filler Piloto Visus San Vicente Mejorado Seco San Vicente Mejorado Visus Condega Seco Esteli so you've got Dominican Republic Nicaragua fillers you've got five different fillers but the wrapper and binder are from the Yamasa Valley. Very, it's a big challenge. Not easy growing wrapper tobacco in the Dominican Republic. It took 20 years for Hanky Kellner to perfect the growing of cigar wrappers in the Dominican and in the Yamasa Valley. But the Davidoff Yamasa is indeed a spectacular cigar. It's intense. It's got some spicy, sweet palate stimulation, as Hanky would always love to tell me. And it's just a cigar that's got some very nice earthy flavors, some spice, some sweetness, almost some notes of of, uh, some sweet orange. Just a beautiful cigar. And this is a fuller-bodied cigar. Definitely on a scale of 1 to 10, it's in the 8, probably 8 to 9 category in terms of strength. Beautiful stick, can't go wrong. It comes in four different sizes. A Petit Churchill, a Robusto, a Toro, and the Davidoff Yamasa Pyramid, which I have pulled out. Now, I'm not a big pyramid lover. Never been a big pyramid or or a torpedo. But when this was given to me, they gave me actually a pack of four. I wasn't going to turn it down. And every so often, I enjoy the change. Now, Toro's my number one cigar, followed by a Corona. But certainly every so often it's good to change up, go to a different format, went to the torpedo. So certainly can't go wrong. So this particular cigar is 6 and and 1 8 inch in length. Has a 52 ring gauge at the foot, at the widest part, and then it curves, it it, it just tapers right up. Nice looking cigar, as I mentioned. The wrapper and the binder from the Yamasa region. Suggested retail, it's not cheap. You're looking between about $15.00 and $25 per cigar. But it is indeed a very unique cigar. Cannot wait to get my choppers on this absolutely beautiful-looking stick. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. Self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine in my right hand, ready for action. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. From the Cigar Dave R&D Laboratories, I've got the Cigar Dave Grenade. Looks like a hand grenade, feels like a hand grenade, giant tank, single SST jet flame, butane flame, comes out about four inches, adjustable, that's what I would use today. Cigar Cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Perfect cut. As always, by your five-star general, you would expect nothing less. Let me toast the foot of the cigar. And as I do, let me just tell you that 
when you are cutting a pyramid, a torpedo, you don't want to go down all the way. You don't want to make it a parejo or a straight cigar. You want that shoulder that curves in. Part of the reason people enjoy a pyramid is that it's more comfortable in their mouth, in their chompers. So to me, you want just where it starts to curve, just above that, that's where you want to cut the head of a torpedo or a pyramid or a Figurato cigar. All right, I'm toasting the foot of this cigar. The wrapper is now toasted. Let me toast the filler. Just going in a circular motion, allowing heat to cause combustion. The flame doesn't touch this beautiful cigar. Let me puff and rotate. blow on the foot of the cigar. Perfect even, even amber glow. Mm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Very rich. Nice notes. But smooth. Very smooth with a lot of flavor. Definitely getting some notes of some orange, a little spice, a little peppery notes. Mm. Very good. Now, I need the proper accompaniment. As I mentioned, Prior to the libation and libation ceremony, we made a small, we're making a, a, an adjustment for 2023. We are now incorporating our Bold Alpha Weekly Spirits Celebration into the International Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony on the Weekly Cigar Dave Show. And for that, as always, Tommy Diadio, the Senior VP of Spirits Procurement for the Corona Cigar Store and Lounges in Orlando, Tampa, soon to be Sarasota. And our resident sommelier joins me for the Bold Alpha Weekly Spirits Selection. Scotch, bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers. Tommy, a happy new year to you. It seems like forever that we've done a bold Alpha Spirit celebration. So for January, Tommy, we are going to conduct... Rum January. Before we do that, how was your holiday season? Everything was excellent. Nice and relaxing. Busy. I mean, the store did amazing. Yeah. And by the way, uh, Sarasota is coming along for the new Corona Cigar in Sarasota. When is that going to open up? We got some bad news. It's delayed more. It is? Yeah. But you still have... Locker 1A yes. set for the general, correct? Yes, There's no bad news on that. That's the guy that's holding us up, the woodworking guy. Okay, perfect. He, there you go. So you are good to go. All right, so let's talk about rum, Tommy. Mm-hmm. Rum is a liquor made by fermenting and then distilling sugarcane molasses or sugarcane juice. The distillate, a clear liquid usually aged in oak barrels. Rum is produced in nearly every sugar-producing region of the world, such as... Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. Cuba, Guatem- the Philippines, Guatemala, Guatemala, Nicaragua, mm-hmm. uh, Panama, Panama, mm-hmm. Cuba. We talked yeah. about Cuba, right? Dominican Republic, Dominican Republic, N- Nicaragua. And really, when you look at it, every it's amazing because in every region they didn't have wheat and they didn't have barley, so they took molasses, mm-hmm. they took sugar cane, they fermented it, and essentially created a fantastic spirit. Now, most people think of. When they think of rum like Bacardi White, which is pretty much unaged. Correct. But as we know from bourbon and from tequila, you put it in barrels and let that age, and it's going to change. Correct. So the rum that we have selected today, Tommy, is the Zacapa, Ron Zacapa, Edition Negra. Now, here's what's interesting. 
I think I told the story. I was uh, changing. I was coming back from, I think, Nicaragua, the Dominican Republic, in the Miami International Airport, and transferring from uh, one flight to the other, coming back to the cigar city of Tampa. And there is a woman in front of this giant display sampling Ron Zacapa rum. And I had never had Zacapa rum before. And she said, would you like a sample? And I said, absolutely. So she gave me a sample, and this is from Panama, I believe, correct? Uh, are they Panama or Panama front? Uh, I believe, I thought for some reason it was no. Panama. No, I don't think they're Panama. Guatemala. Guatemala, you're right, Guatemala. Guatemala, that's right, correct, Guatemala. And so, of course, I sampled a regular Ronza Cop and blown away. Mm -hmm. And she said, by the way, you can buy a bottle right over there in the duty-free. And I said, well, when I get back to Tampa, I'm not going to tr transport it on the plane. Came back, bought a bottle. Absolutely fantastic. Very, very smooth. So talk a little bit about Ronza Capa and the Edition Negra today. Okay. So this one is a age from 6 to 26 years old. It's a Soera, which is a bunch of rums, different ages blended together. Right. And this one is aged in a double charred barrel. So it's kind of like your extra heavy charred bourbons. And it's at a higher altitude is where they age this one. Um, now, there are different grades of rum. Hmm? There's dark rums, flavored rums, gold rums, light rums, or white, overproof rum, uh, premium rum, spice rum. This would definitely probably go into a dark rum, would yeah. you think? Yeah, dark rum. Yep. And this is also what was in the barrels before was an American whiskey. And then it was the, the next double barrel was Pedro Menes, and the so, barrels were extra charred. And how long? How many years of age? Six did you to say? twenty-six. Six to twenty-six. Correct. Incredible. All right. That's so the, what's the Solero blend is? All right. So I've got my Davidoff Yamasa, which I fired up during the lightation ceremony. Nice, full-flavored cigar, and this rum. Six to twenty-six is going to be on the fuller-flavored side. Just looking at it, it's yeah. almost got a maple syrup, dark oh, yeah. maple color. All right. Let's say cheers, Tommy. And this Happy retails New Year. for about 50, $55. How much? 55 55 All right, take a sip here. Mm. Oh, that is smooth, You get Tommy. the char on the end. Yeah, but that so is smooth. So basically when they, have, they double char, they char it. Is the char that's on it, when they, they get it, they char it again. Definite sweetness. Yeah. I'm getting some maple. Oh, yeah. Some of that sugar cane. But that wood, that six oh, to yeah. twenty-six year double double yeah, char, really gives it some nice smokiness. Yeah, smokiness on it. Yeah, the, but not overpowering. No. No. Take another sip. Mm. Wow. That is fantastic. And this is a great sipping rum. Yes. After dinner, I would say this is great with a medium to full-bodied cigar. Maduro would be great. Can't go wrong. And what did you say this was again? Uh, Cost-wise? 55. 55. Not mm -hmm. bad. For 6 to 26 years. Can't mm -hmm. go wrong. And I think the regular Ron Zacapa is somewhere around 30, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. And then there's, you know, there's age rums. And when you mm -hmm. get an age rum, it's... If it says, this, it's tricky. They can put a blend of up to this many years. That means that the oldest is, it's kind of a different way of writing Solero. Or they can write 16. It means that the minimum in there is 16 years old. So right. there's a couple ways of doing that. Well, this is great to start off rum January. And I know many parts of the country, it's cold, it's gray. So we're bringing some of the Caribbean directly to you wherever you may be. Fire up your cigar. Have some rum. You can't go wrong. This Ron Zacapa Edición Negra, nice dark rum, very smooth, nice notes of uh, maple with some of the smokiness and woodiness from the barrel. Can't go wrong. Nice selection, Tommy. What are we going to be uh, sampling next week so uh, I can start getting my palate salivating? <laughs> Zaya. Zaya. Where is that from? 
This one, uh, let's see. Because I know, I think the Zaya is 16, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 16 but it's, years. It's, it's, well, it's we'll figure of, it out. It, by now. we got yep. a week to figure that one out. So we will figure that out. This Tommy is, D, as always, many thanks. Fantastic. I looked that one up. Trinidad. Trinidad? I looked, I looked it up. Trinidad. Fantastic. Well, great job on the Ron Zacapa. Can't wait to try the Zaya from Trinidad next week on our weekly Bold Alpha Spirit Selection. I had the pleasure of knowing the late, great Avo Uvesian, the man behind the Avo lineup of cigars. And Avo had a great saying. He would tell me, savor every note. Well, one cigar that I can tell you, you will savor every puff, savor every note, is the Avo Heritage. It was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar. Strength, complexity, impeccable smoothness, nice notes of spice. If you are looking for a cigar that delivers... Full-bodied richness, impeccable smoothness, savor every note of the spice-laden Avo heritage. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. Well, you by now, I'm sure, have heard that the enemies of pleasure have now turned their attention to your cooktop, your gas cooktop, your gas stove, your gas oven. There was an article published on Bloomberg.com with the headline earlier this week, U.S. Safety Agency to Consider Ban on Gas Stoves Amid Health Fears. The U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission will move to regulate gas stoves as new research links them to childhood asthma. Remember one thing, it's always about the children. We have to protect the children, as Bill Clinton would say. It's about the children. If we don't do it's help our children, what do we have? It's about our children. No, I did not have sexual relations with any of those children. It's always about the kids. Now remember, you have to look at the deeper. There's always something deeper hidden. What do we see from the Dems, the socialists, the liberals, the Marxists? They have a hatred of fossil fuels. They are enemies of fossil fuels. They're enemies of natural gas. Even though natural gas is clean burning, it is used to to, as the source for electric generation. I mean, coal is pretty much extinct in terms of power generation. It's still around, but very, very rare. You're seeing now primarily a number one generation of Stable power in the United States, what they call baseload power, meaning you don't, no matter what happens, if there's no sun, if there's no wind, if there's no water going over a dam for hydroelectric, it's called baseload power. Well, when you turn that light on, you know you're going to get power. Number one source of baseload power in the United States is natural gas. Why? It's abundant. Fracking has made it readily available. We got I mean, reserves out the yin-yang were the Saudi Arabia of natural gas, so much so that we're exporting natural gas, and it is a clean-burning fuel. And if you live in certain parts of the country, you live in the Northeast. Perfect example, my hometown of Buffalo, a few weeks ago, big snowstorm, tremendous cold uh, cold winds. It was really a, a snow hurricane is what it was. You had many people lose power, but their homes remained heated. They could still cook. Why? Because they use natural gas. They have natural gas furnaces. 
natural gas heating, natural gas cooktops and stoves. If you have electric heat generation, forget it. You have an electric oven, forget it. And you've got people saying, we should go to electric for everything. Electric cars, electric stoves, get rid of, uh, of, of natural gas or oil-burning furnaces. Go with heat pumps, electric heat pumps. Basically, it's an air conditioner. And in the winter, it instead of cooling your, your, the air, it essentially heats. It, it sucks heat. The problem with heat pumps, electric heat pumps, is that when you get below like 30 degrees, 25 degrees, 20 degrees, it doesn't work. Does not work. So what do the enemies of fossil fuels have to do? They know that people aren't buying this nonsense about natural gas because they know it's clean. They know it's abundant. They have to come up with another fraudulent line of a storyline. So what's the storyline? It's for the children. We have to protect children. In the... A Bloomberg article, it stated, natural gas stoves, which are used in about 40% of homes in the U.S., emit air pollutants such as nitrogen oxide, carbon monoxide, and fine particulate matter at levels the EPA and World Health Organization have said are unsafe and linked to respiratory illness, cardiovascular problems, cancer, and other health conditions, according to reports by groups such as the Institute for policy integrity in the American Chemical Society. Now, first of all, the Institute for Policy Integrity, I can assure you, has nothing to do with integrity. It has everything to do with bullshit, with junk science. Now, they go on to say that a federal agency says a ban on gas stoves is on the table amid rising concern about harmful indoor air pollutants emitted by the appliances. The U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission plans to take action to address the pollution, which can cause health and respiratory problems. Quote, This is a hidden hazard. Richard Trumka Jr., an agency commissioner, said in an interview, any option is on the table. Products that can't be made safe can be banned. Well, there you go. What do they want to do? They want to ban your gas oven, your gas cooktop, your gas stove. And we all know gas is far superior for cooking than electric. When I grew up, our home, when I grew up in Buffalo, had an electric oven. Now, I still like electric ovens. I have a double electric oven in my pleasure palace. I don't like gas, I don't like, uh, uh, gas ovens. That's just me. Some people love them. I prefer the electric. I like the convection for a number of reasons. However, when it comes to a gas or a cooktop, a range, I will take gas any day of the week. Now, when I grew up, we had an electric range. You know, those little coils and you got, it takes like four minutes to heat up and then you put it on there and then it takes like 10 minutes to cool down. So you got to be very careful. And you don't really get that intense heat that you get with gas. So I went to college and after living in the dorms for a couple of years, lived in an apartment and it had an electric range, electric cooktop. And then when I graduated and went on my own, my first apartment in Baltimore for three years, it had an electric oven and an electric range, electric cooktop. And I was always in gas envy. I said, one day I'm going to have gas. 
And then, of course, when I moved down to the Cigar City of Tampa, I lived in one, two, three places, correction, four places over, I don't know, maybe something like 15 years that all had electric. No joy on the gas. But I said, when I buy a house, I am going to have gas. I'm going to have that nice big gas cooktop that has like six burners and I can put all sorts of stuff on there. And guess what? When I bought my, my pleasure palace, that's exactly what I did when I renovated the house. The house is only like two years old, but I came in and made a thorough renovation, gutted out the kitchen, and I put gas. I still have the double oven with a warmer drawer. That's electric. I like that. But I am, I mean, I love my gas cooktop. Absolutely love it. It's such a huge difference compared to electric. Now, I've got a range hood above it, and I always put, whenever I'm cooking something, I always have the range. And the, the hood, the vent, has three settings, and the, at all settings, it sucks everything out, and it sucks it outside. Now, sometimes you see at homes, they put this vent, and all it does is suck it up and then back straight out towards you. I made sure that I had a vent that, that was ducted outside the house. And if I am making some cast iron ribeye steaks or strip steaks, you go outside and you can smell all what you would smell in the kitchen. You smell outside because it sucks it all out and takes it outside. So the end goal is very clear by the enemies of fossil fuels. They will use any tail, any narrative to make sure that they can get rid of fossil fuel, including the gas that you use to cook in your house. So what do they say? Oh, we've got these studies showing it's dangerous. That this can cause uh, asthma in children. It's for the children. we got to protect the children. That's how it always is. Now, what's interesting is they go on to say in this article that tests have shown that the... Science, now it's junk science, shows that kids have higher rates of asthma and there's other particulate and other, and other chemicals. And then you have some of these, these moron elected officials, several Democrats, uh, members of the House, saying that gas stove emissions is a cumulative burden on black, Latino, and low-income households that disproportionately experience air pollution. They've always got to make everything racial. Everything has to be about race. Trust me. I know plenty of blacks and Latinos that absolutely love their gas range and they will not go to electric. This is another example of government overreach that these unelected officials from the Consumer Product Safety Commission, they don't like natural gas. They don't like fossil fuels, so we're going to ban it. Nobody elected them. And by the way, who is this Richard Trumka Jr.? If that name sounds familiar, who was his daddy? His daddy was the longtime president of the AFL-CIO, Richard Trumka. And Richard had that big Pittsburgh accent. I can't do a Pittsburgh accent very well, but he's got that Pittsburgh accent because he's from originally, I think, Pennsylvania. I think he grew up uh, near Pittsburgh. He was uh, started in the coal mines, became an, an attorney, 
Served as president of the United Mine Workers from 82 to 95, then secretary general of the AFL-CIO from 95 to 2009. Elected president of the AFL-CIO in September 2009. Served until his death, August 5, 2021. So for 12 years, he was the president of the AFL-CIO. Now, the AFL-CIO, throughout the years, has had major corruption major kickbacks, major corruption. Now, I'm not saying Trumpka was corrupt, but to a degree, aren't the, all these union officials corrupt? Because they do what's best for them, not best for their members. Donald Trump was the best president ever for blue-collar workers, for mine workers, for those workers that worked in steel mills. He wanted to make sure that American industry came back. Enough of this nonsense where we were getting trampled on with dumping from foreign steel from China, Japan, from just getting uh, all of our blue-collar manufacturing jobs outsourced to Mexico and China, you would think Richard Trumpka would say, great, I'm going to back Donald Trump, a president that's going to look out for my members. Hell no. They are another subsidiary of the Democrat Party, of the DNC. Their members, his members voted for Trump. They didn't vote for, for, uh, for Hillary Clinton. But yet, the heads of these unions, no matter what, the Teamsters, the AFL-CIO, they always back the Dem. Why? Because they find ways to make sure they all get their kickbacks. So Richard Trumka, big-time Dem, member of the head of the AFL-CIO, his son, who, by the way, looks just like him with the mustache and everything, a younger version, You know how he got his job. Let's face it. It's all about being an insider in the swamp. Remember, Richard Trumka, when he was alive, circled in Democrat circles. Well, he made sure his son circled in Democrat circles and got politically connected and politically wired. And lo and behold, what do you know? He becomes a commissioner on the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. If he's like his old man, he's bad news. So they use this junk science. And all of a sudden, you see news reports everywhere, opinions, people are going crazy, saying, you're not going to take, I mean, even Democrats saying, they've got more important things to do, the Product Safety Commission, than worry about gas stoves. And then, of course, they walk it back. The product, uh, uh, Trumpka and the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission walk it back, saying, no, 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 no. We were just talking about it. We're not banning anything. And the White House got so much blowback that they walked it back saying, no, there are no plans. But let me tell you one thing. The great Marv Levy, Hall of Fame coach of the Buffalo Bills for many years, Marv had a great saying. If you're thinking about retirement, you're retired. If they are thinking about banning stoves and gas cooktops, they are going to ban Stoves and cooktops. This is what the Democrats do. They interfere in your life. Now, do you think any of the elitists, the Obamas, the Bidens, the Richard Trumka Jr., do you think any of them are going to give up their gas stove? Hell no. No chance. It's all about elitism. It's not good for them. They don't, oh, they got to have their gas stove. But what they'll say is, well, I've I've got a vent hood, so it's okay. But everyone else... All the peasants, you will do as we say. And then Jill Biden, all these celebra- all these, these public officials, celebrities get busted 
in their, in their social media accounts with pictures of them cooking on their gas stove. Jill Biden. Oh, excuse me, Dr. Jill Biden. If she's a doctor, I'm the Pope. Jill Biden gets busted. Social media on, on, on cooking on her gas cooktop in one of their several homes. You have AOC, who, of course, says, oh, yeah, great idea. And then there's pictures of her on her gas cooktop. It's all about hypocrisy. It is do as I say, not as I do. So major blowback, huge blowback. And what happens? All of a sudden, the White House says, no, 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 we're, we're, not, we're, that's not, what are you talking about? Come on, no, 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 no. The answer is yes, yes, yes. Consumer Product Safety Commission says, no, no, this is just something we're looking at because we have to protect the children. Yes, yes, yes. And then you have PolitiFact, which comes out and blames members of uh, people on Fox News saying, oh, they're just spreading this rumor. I'm sorry, it's not a rumor. There was a direct quote from Richard Trumka on the U.S. Product Safety Commission stating that they need to look at that because of safety concerns. Well, the scientific study, the junk study they use, came from International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. From last October, there was a study published saying, or an article published, and here's the headline, Population uh, Attributable Fraction of Gas Stoves and Childhood Asthma in the United States. So they're trying to find a way to correlate childhood asthma because we have to protect the children with gas stoves. They know that people love their gas stoves. They know that they can't go after, they can try to go after the, the, the fossil fuels, but they have to come up with an ulterior, another route, another flight plan, if you will, another playbook. And that is go after the children. The children need protection because the children are just, they can't protect themselves. So I read this four-page article. And it's all bullshit. It's junk science. So let me give you a summary of the study's principal flaws. First up, it is not actual research on children. It is what's called a meta-analysis. They take previously published and mostly ignored studies, a study of otherwise unpersuasive studies, and they did a literature search for previous epidemiological studies on gas stoves and asthma in kids. Then they mixed those results together in an effort to contrive statistical significance. And that is bogus. What you do is you essentially extend the goalposts so much that it includes everything. Even if somebody has asthma that has no bearing on gas stoves, if one one millionth of a, of a, of a just one one millionth of particulate could cause a kid to sneeze, oh, it's got to be asthma. So there's something called publication bias in the studies. Basically, they take studies that weren't even published, that had no results, that didn't show anything, and they try to lump them together and change the analysis. So it wasn't even a new study they did. The study results include component studies, which are weak statistical associations. So that's not significant. They show... They show uh, 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 issues that has no statistical significance. Here's another thing. Asthma is not an allergic disease. Asthma, correction, is an allergic disease. There are no allergens in natural gas. So the study has no biological plausibility. Nobody even knows what causes asthma in children. 
So competing causes can't be ruled out. And the claim that gas stoves are responsible for 12% of childhood asthma, which is a concept called attributable risk, is bullshit. Because epidemiological studies can only be used to associate exposures with disease. They can't be used to determine risk of disease. Why? Because number one, the underlying data is not representative of the entire population. Two, epidemiological studies are just statistics. Correlation does not mean causation. And they can't be used by themselves to determine cause and effect relationships. So it is junk science. They said, and that was used for, in, for many years. When cigars became popular during the boom, a few years after, you saw all these studies. Oh, cigars are terrible. Cigars are this. Cigars are that. And they took all these studies. There were like 70 studies that were published that showed, hey, consuming cigars in moderation, not inhaling, no big significant uh, statistical risk of disease with cigars. That's why when you see, nobody smokes 10 cigars a day. Even people in the cigar business don't do that. I go to all the cigar manufacturers. They're not smoking 10 cigars a day. They will sample maybe 10 cigars, which is the equivalent of maybe a third of a cigar because they're testing, they're tasting. But I can tell you, I've been to all the major headquarters. Everyone, you name it. Nobody smokes 5, 10 cigars a day. It does not happen. But they took these studies in a meta-analysis and then they changed the statistics to allow just a wide open range of various uh, 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 weak associations saying, well, there is an increased statistical chance, which was like, you know, 0.003. Insignificant. That's the exact same thing they're using. So this is a sleight of hand card trick. Do not fall for this. They are saying, we want to get rid of gas stoves. The, we know we, we're going to have an uphill battle, so how do we do it? We bring in the children. Because who's going to fight against wanting kids not to have asthma? But as we've seen, kids don't get asthma because there are no allergens in natural gas. And if it was so bad, why are people dropping dead left and right when they're using their stoves? You're talking about using it maybe... In many homes, five minutes a day, 15 minutes. I mean, an hour would be way, way high. Most of the time, I'm using it to boil water. I'm using it to make soup. I'm using it to make pasta, whatever the case. It's on for five minutes, 10 minutes. That's it. So when somebody says to you in the government, especially a Dem Lib, we're not we're, not going to ban anything. We're just talking about looking at the dangers. What it means is they will find ways to ban it by creating dangers. And that's what they're doing with this study. Do not come near my gas stove. And when Trumpka says this is a hidden hazard, any option is on the table. Products that can't be made safe can be banned. What is he telling you? He is blatantly saying we are going to find a way to show that it's unsafe and therefore we can ban it. But it won't be banned in the Obama household. It won't be banned in the Biden household. It won't be banned in the John Kerry household. It won't be banned in any Democrat elitist household. Only people who working, blue-collar working Americans. And white-collar Americans, too. That's who they're going to go after. The non-elitist. Guarantee it. Now, speaking of elitists, 
you know, some of these supposed celebrity chefs, I, I always, you know, whenever I see these chefs that say, oh, you know, I'm a very gourmet chef, I'm a celebrity chef, they're, 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 they, they give themselves the title. A lot of these chefs have these, they think they're artistes. They have these giant egos, which in and of itself is not bad. But they just think that, oh, we're just so elite. Here's a perfect example. David Chang, never heard of this clown. He is a, and I use air quotes, celebrity chef who founded the Michelin-starred restaurant Momofuku. And on his podcast, he dissed Costco chickens. Now, Costco chickens, as you know, if you're a member of Costco, they're $4.99. The price has not risen. And I remember reading an article in the Wall Street Journal talking about how the $4.99 price of the chickens, of the rotisserie chickens, and the $1.50 hot dog and soda price are sacrosanct. In fact, the former chairman CEO of Costco, he's one of the founders of Costco, told the current chairman CEO or current CEO, don't you ever screw around with that price or I will kill you. And they take that very seriously. So much so that Costco, to be able to keep the price down, and it is a loss leader for them. At $4.99 for like a three and a half, four pound chicken, they lose money on that. Why is it in the back of the store? Because to get it, you have to go to the back and then on the way towards it or, or from it, you're going to buy other products. It's a loss leader. Everybody congregates around the rotisserie chicken counter because they want hot, fresh rotisserie chickens. For $4.99, it's a great deal. Many times I will buy a, a whole chicken and what I will do is I will cut it up. I will separate the breasts, the thighs. I'll cut all, I'll dice all the meat, put it in a container, and I use it for my canine Pendragon's Royal Baron. I put some of that in his kibble. He gets kibble. He gets some, uh, like, about a half a cup of white rice. And then I put in some of the rotisserie chicken with some gravy. He loves it. Absolutely loves it. But David Chang blasts Costco's chickens. And as I was saying, the, the $4.99, they lose money. So much so that Costco, a number of years ago, big Wall Street Journal article, they actually went out and decided they were going to purchase land and they were going to create their own chicken hatcheries, raise the chickens, and then they were going to actually create uh, a, a build chicken slaughterhouses so they could control everything because they have a certain size. You go into a Costco, those are huge chickens. You go into a supermarket, whether it is Publix, whether it's Winn-Dixie, whether it's Albertsons, whether it's Kroger's, whether it's A&P, whether it's Giant, whether it's Wegmans, whether it's Tops, Jewel Osco, Albert, whatever. Those chickens are small, and they're like $8.99, $9.99 for a little puny chicken. You go to Costco, they're like three, four times the size, $4.99. It is the best deal around. Well, he disses it. And remember, many people... Especially today, during inflation, four ninety nine. You you take that one chicken, that's going to last you for a while. That's going to feed a family. You make some sides, you got a nice dinner. Not everybody goes out to New York for you know two hundred, three hundred dollar dinners. So he disses the Costco chicken. Here's what he says: "Quote: I think the Costco chicken is the worst rotisserie chicken. They're not good. They're seasoned." He uh, says, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're not good, they're not seasoned. The reason why it's important to have it properly seasoned is you might eat it the next day cold and it's got to taste good cold. 
And there's something about all the nitrates and all the crap they pump into that chicken that makes that chicken breast even more disgusting the next day when it's cold. It's inedible. It really is. Now, he complained because while shopping at Costco, he had to buy two chickens, even though he only wanted one. And he said while he needed to pay just $25, which is the price of a single chicken in the average supermarket, Chang said the packaging left something to be desired. He's full of bullshit. Those chickens are $4.99 everywhere in the country. New York, Seattle, Tampa, Rochester, Dallas, Los Angeles. No matter where you go, they are $4.99, period. And I've never seen them bundled together. I've never seen two rotisserie chickens bundled together in $25. So he's full of shit. I have no idea what he's talking about. He's clearly mistaken. But it just shows you the elitism. And by the way, I went and to take a look at what the ingredients are in a rotisserie chicken. And here's what is in there. Whole chicken, water, seasoning, which is so, salt, sodium phosphates, hydrolyzed casein, modified corn starch, sugar, dextrose, chicken broth, natural flavorings, natural seasoning, mono and diglyceride salt. Okay? So I went through there, and when you look at some of these ingredients, now... Nobody's uh, eating three, four, five of these chickens a day. So there are no nitrates or nitrites. So I don't know where he's getting that. He's clearly mistaken. Now, there's some things that, you know, I personally think they could do without. I'd like to see them get rid of the sodium phosphate, which is an additive that helps keep uh, meat moist and maintains freshness. Potato dextrin is a thickener and sweetener. It can be used to enhance uh, crispiness in food, so they use that for for probably the skin. Uh, and dextrose is a simple sugar made from corn. Now, the thing is, the largest ingredient, and you have to list your ingredients in order, what's the number one ingredients? Whole chicken. What's number two? Water. Then the third is the seasoning. So you're not talking about loads of seasoning. Now, personally, I wish that Costco would offer an option that's just plain. You make the chickens, there's no seasoning, it's just a natural chicken. I'd like to see them do that. And I've requested that. But the chicken is still good. Take the skin off if you don't. And I take the skin off. But $4.99, it's a great deal. And this is the elitism that we see from Dems, socialists, liberals, people that live in New York. It's, you know, it really amazes me. You know, this is a guy that's got these restaurants, these Momofuku restaurants, these noodle. He made his, uh, this, it's like a noodle you know, type of restaurant. I think it's like Japanese uh, type of food. And I'm looking at the Momofuku Las Vegas menu, and he's got locations in New York, Vegas, and somewhere else, which I can't recall. But let me put it this way. Here's his ginger scallion noodle. Pickled shiitake, wakami seed, cucumber, 22 bucks. Spicy miso ramen. I think you can buy the ramen noodles in the container for like $1.99. Ground pork, black garlic, poached egg, 29 bucks. Let's take a look at his seafood. Here you go. Meat and seafood. For a roasted whole bronzino, green papaya, mint peanuts, 79 bucks. I can buy a whole bronzino at Whole Foods for probably 12, 13 bucks. Maybe a little bit more. Whole bronzino, same thing. And his bone and ribeye, which serves three to four, 32 ounce tear weight, meaning that's before cooking. So it's two pounds before cooking. Now, if you go to Costco, they have USDA prime ribeye, 
and I'm sure this is boneless ribeye, which probably is $14.99 or $16, probably $14.99 a pound. Let's just say it's $16.99, but I think it's $14.99. For two pounds, you're talking, talking about 70, uh, uh, 34 bucks at Momofuku for his... Oh, correction, it is a bone and ribeye. I am mistaken. So a bone and ribeye is going to be at Costco, I believe it's for Prime... I believe it's about fourteen or fifteen ninety nine. So let's just say it's sixteen bucks, thirty two bucks. How much do they get for their bone and ribeye? Thirty two ounce, two pounds at Momofuku in Vegas, two hundred and thirty eight dollars. That is a giant ripoff. Forget Momofuku, it's Momofucker, because you are getting screwed. But this is the elitism. Oh, Costco. Oh, the chickens are terrible. And I'm looking at this clown. He doesn't look like any big gourmet chef to me. To me, the most, the most famous, best gourmet chef in the world, in history, you know who I'm going to say, Chef Boyardee. Everybody knows Chef Boyardee. Seriously. And I'll tell you what drives these chefs batshit. If you go and talk to him and say, hi, Chef Boyardee. Oh, that's an insult. I'll tell you something. Chef Boyardee, better chef than 90% of these clowns. Guaranteed. And I'm not one of these guys that likes these foo-foo foods. You know, where all of a sudden they're going to have shallots with escargot, with a medallion of truffle and all this shave bullshit. And you look at it, it's like $79, and there's maybe an ounce of food on the plate. Not my thing. I'll go to a deli, I'll go to a steakhouse, I'll go get barbecue. I've got friends that say, oh, there's this new American restaurant that just opened up here in the Cigar City of Tampa. It's called Pont, I think, New American. And I looked at the menu and I said, pass. They're like, oh, but it's supposedly the greatest. And there's long time to get reservations, months. Not my thing. I looked at the menu. Drek. It reminds me of Persoso. Actually, it's called Per Se New York. One of these like 12 course meals. Every course is like three tenths of an ounce. And it's like $500. It's ridiculous. Not my thing. Give me a good steakhouse. Give me a good barbecue joint. Give me a deli. I'd rather have a corned beef or a pastrami sandwich than anything they're serving at some of these supposedly upscale gourmet joints. That's not my thing. If it's yours, great. You're a foodie, wonderful. Not me. But these chefs, you know, just the arrogance of looking down at people. Oh, the Costco chicken. Oh, the $4.99 price point makes it attractive for some buyers. Note to... Momofuku Chang. Not everybody can afford your $238 overpriced two-pound ribeye. Especially today with massive inflation under the Dems and brain-dead Biden. And to me, this is just an example of the New York liberal elitism. We see it. You go to New York, and I, I remember a number of years ago, I went for lunch, and I was being taken to lunch. I was, you know, being treated to lunch. I would have been happy to go to Katz's Deli, quite honestly. Give me a good $20 corned beef or pastrami sandwich, a potato latke, I'm fine. But we went to this nice place. He wanted to go, oh, you're going to love this place. It's great. Okay, it was okay. You know, whatever. I had a salad, you know, which is probably like 28 bucks, which was, you know, I could have probably made it home for about 16 cents. And then I had, uh, I think, a salmon or, uh, yeah, it was salmon or it was, uh, it was, uh, Chilean sea bass. I think it was, yeah, it was Chilean sea bass. It was nice, but it was like maybe three and a half ounces. I was hungry after lunch. And it had some garnish, whatever. And of course, I had a couple of iced teas. And in New York, when they do refills of iced tea, 
it's like eight bucks every shot. It's not like you go down to the rest of the country. Oh, honey, would you like another iced tea? Sure. There you go. No charge. You know, you pay what? $2.99 and that's it. Oh, no, no. Not in New York. Every iced tea is like eight bucks. So the bill came and he looked at it and he said, that's not bad. He said, 350 bucks for two people for lunch. That's not bad. I looked at him. I said, on what fucking planet are you living on? Do you realize that 99% of Americans, $350 would be their entire food budget, you know, maybe for a month or a couple of weeks? I said, you have no concept of reality living in this shithole. You have no clue of reality. Most people are brown banging for lunch or they're buying a $5 subway, footlong, a subway footlong. He's like, well, I'm just saying for New York. I said, guess what? This meal, I wouldn't rate it on five stars. I'd give it a quarter of a star. I said, next time we're going to Katz's and we're getting a corned beef or pastrami sandwich. He's like, oh, but this place is so great. I'm like, it's not great. And I said, you need to, you know what? You need to take a road trip to the heartland of America. Because New Yorkers have this jaded view that everything revolves around them. New York is a shithole. New York City. I'm not talking about upstate New York. Because people in upstate New York, Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, Albany, they don't live on $350 lunches. Blue-collar towns, hardworking people, salt of the earth, down to earth. But New Yorkers... I mean, I have experienced it. I have seen it. You know what I'm talking about. They just think that everywhere else in the country is like a shitbox. No, the shithole, the true shithole is New York City. That is fact. I'll go to Des Moines. I'll go to Little Rock. I'll go to Memphis. I'll go to Jacksonville. I'll go to Buffalo. I'll go to uh, Ishpeming, Michigan before I would rather visit New York. The last time I visited, my sister used to live in New York, Cigar Sister Lynn. I haven't been back to New York probably in five, six years. If I never go to New York again, I would not miss it. Not for a second. It's congested. It's crime-ridden. It's dirty. It is a sack of shithole. You know it. I know it. New Yorkers know it, but they can't admit it. So for this celebrity, supposed celebrity chef, to diss people because they buy $4.99 Costco chickens, screw him. Screw his overpriced Momofuku joints. But this is, again, the elitist. And this is what Dems and Libs and the elitists, this is what, how they look at you. This is how they see you. You are the peasants. You are Russian serfs. You will own nothing, and you will be happy. And that's exactly what we're seeing from the World Economic Forum, which is getting set to take place next week in Davos, Switzerland. Again, talk about people. You're talking about the CEOs of, of major corporations, banks, government officials, 52 heads of state and government 600 CEOs will be attending the World Economic Forum in Davos. These are the people that say, you need to reduce your carbon footprint. We need to have total renewable energy. We need to live on solar, drive electric cars, and wind, even though there's no way in hell you can build enough solar and enough windmills to power this country. These are the people that live in 15,000 square foot houses saying, oh, my power bill is the equivalent of 20 people. My monthly power bill, they'll say, is the equivalent of probably 30 people's yearly bills. But they don't give a shit. They don't care. Again, they're elitists. The World Economic Forum, if you don't know, was founded by a, a guy by the name of Dr. Klaus Schwab. Personally, my opinion, he's a Nazi bastard. 
It looks like a Nazi. I'm Dr. Schwab. We must change the world. You will do what we say. We need international passports, passports for vaccinations. We will control where you go, what you eat, what you do, what you drive. This is what we are going to do. You will like it. You will own nothing. You will be a Russian peasant self, and we will live the lap of luxury. That is 100% true. This guy is the equivalent of a modern-day Dr. Evil. I hate that, that bastard. And they are training some of the... They've got this World Economic Forum Leadership Institute. Trudeau went through it. Justine Castro Trudeau in, in Canada. number of other... We've got some congressmen and congresswomen that are going, both Democrats and Republicans, to the World Economic Forum. They shouldn't be anywhere near that joint. They've got President Yoon Suk Yul, the new president of South Korea, President Gustavo Petro of Colombia, President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. of the Philippines, 300 government ministers. They're all going to be there. In fact, China's Alibaba, which is the equivalent of our Amazon but far bigger, they're presenting at the World Economic Forum an individual carbon footprint tracker. So they're going to track, they want to track how much carbon do you use? When you travel, when you drive, the cooktop, the range in your house. Yet, do you think any of these elitists are going to have to worry about their carbon footprint or tracking it? Hell no. The U.S. will be represented by brain-dead Biden administration officials, including presidential climate envoy John Kerry, the guy that says, I need to be traveling private because I'm busy and I just can't do it commercial, but you all need to go commercial. Head of National Intelligence Averill Hayes and U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai. Several governors, including the governor of Georgia, is going to be in attendance. Why? I have absolutely no idea. Why the governor of Georgia, why Kemp needs to be in Davos, is beyond me. Brian Kemp should stay in Atlanta, in Georgia, in the U.S. of A., but again, they're all looking to get schmeared down the road. When he leaves in three, three or four years, he's going to be looking for a little payback. That's how it works. We're going to hobnob and they all work amongst themselves. Don't you notice the people that get nominated, these commissions and the boards, they're all the same group. Now, here's the kicker. They'll all bitch and moan and they'll talk about Klaus Schwab and say, I have to worry about the, the carbon footprint. We must make sure that people can properly transition to renewable fuels. They're going to spew that bullshit ad infinitum. Yet, all these bigwigs, all these elitists, all these CEOs, all these corporate titans, how do you think they're getting there? Commercial? Hell no. Four years ago, the World Economic Forum, or three years ago, before the the world pandemic, there were 1,200 private jets that flew in for Davos for the World Economic Forum annual meeting. This year, they're expecting 1,500. 25% more private jets that burn loads of fossil fuel, more fossil fuel while they taxi in 10 minutes than your car will burn probably an entire year. Yet they're going to wag their fingers at you and say, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to live. We will tell you. We don't need to follow it. You will just follow our orders. They are elitist pricks. 
You will own nothing and you will be happy. That is their attitude. So while they want you to eat bugs, they will be dining on steak, lobster, and caviar. They will be feasting while they want you to starve. So when these guys are done at Davos, you can be sure, most assuredly, that many of these well-to-do, including Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, they'll then be boarding their yacht somewhere in Spain, traveling the Mediterranean on their private yacht. Not one, not two, probably two. In fact, Bill Gates, a number of years ago, when he went uh, after one of the big conferences in Europe, he had his yacht and he rented a second yacht so that he could accommodate all his guests. Two yachts. But again, you're evil for wanting to drive an SUV. And you're evil for wanting to use a gas cooktop. And you're evil for using air conditioning that uses electric power or gas. It is elitism. These are evil people. The World Economic Forum, you will see CNBC and Fox Business, Maria Barter, Romo will be there kissing all their asses. Can't kiss enough ass. It is embarrassment. These are evil people. They don't give a shit about the rest of the world. They will live the life they want to live regardless of what they tell you. They want you to live a certain way. You want, they want you to be Russian serfs, Russian peasants, but they'll live in the lap of luxury like the czars. No thank you. They must be called out. And any politician that goes, be very suspicious of. Be very wary. Klaus Schwab is an enemy not only of America, an enemy of the world. He is a Nazi bastard prick. End of discussion. My opinion, he's a Nazi bastard prick. End of discussion. Now, there is something we need to talk about, gentlemen. Now, I know that those of you that are alphas, I know that you practice good hygiene. I know that you change your bed sheets on a regular basis if you are single. Well, a British study looked at how often adults change their bed sheets. Single men were found to have significantly worse hygiene than men. Almost half of the UK single men admitted they wait up to four months, four months to wash their bed sheets. That is disgusting. With another 12% said they wash them as and when they remember, which could be even longer. That is even more disgusting. Unsurprisingly, their bedding was changed more often once they were in a relationship, most likely because women perform the majority of household chores, according to this poll from Gallup. The... Very disgusting findings were shared by betting retailer Pizuna, which commissioned the survey in April of 2022. They were recently published by the BBC, who called for the shopping, shocking habit to be ditched by single men in 2023. Now, that is thoroughly disgusting. I can tell you, I change my bed sheets without fail every five days. Every five days, without fail. I will not sleep on sheets more than five days. I have two sets of sheets. Actually, I have more than that. So what I do is, as soon as I take one off, it goes into the washer. The new set of sheets go on my bed. And then they are, the, the wash sheets are folded, ready for changing in five days. I find that to be thoroughly disgusting. Alphas better not be, and I don't believe they're alphas. I think they are weak, pussified, 
dumbass beta males. Because let's face it, beta males, they're weak. They don't really care about necessarily, I think, hygiene. You see it all the time. All these actors, look at all these, these libs. They look like shit. Their hair is disheveled. They, they look like they have two cents. They couldn't rub two cents together. Yet these are guys getting $40 million for a motion picture. Now, many men made light of the findings. Teasing the study was single-handedly shaming them, while others joked they got longer with certain tricks. Some guy actually said, I got eight months. Just flip it over and it's brand new. Saves on water and electricity. Just doing my bit for the planet. I'm sorry. You are not doing your bit for the planet. You are a disgusting boor. You are a cretan, a prehistoric cretan. Another guy said you can get another four months if you turn it inside out. One guy said, when I was single once a month, these days my missus does the job. What does it tell you about people? These are the same people that probably don't wash their hands when they leave a restroom. And you know what I'm talking about. We as alphas, we know. You leave a restroom, you wash your hands thoroughly. I see it all the time. Men in the bathroom, you know they're touching their, their, their pisher, their pecker in the urinal, and they walk right out. It's disgusting. Now, I was at a restaurant a few weeks ago, and I go into the, into the uh, restroom, and I'm washing my hand. Guy comes in, in back of me, does his business, and he starts to walk out. Now, there's a sign clearly that says all employees must wash their hands. Very clear. They're trained. you got to wash your hands. Why is it important to wash your hands, even if you use gloves? Bacteria, hepatitis, all sorts of things. And I know many restaurant owners, and they take sanitary practices extremely seriously. All it takes is one hepatitis breakout, and they're finished. They are sticklers. I've got friends in the restaurant business. Sticklers. It all starts from the top. So what did I do when I left? I went right to the manager who I happened to see, and I said, excuse me, that gentleman over there just went into the restroom, left, and didn't wash his hands. So if he's not washing his hands and going back to work, what about all the other employees? I said, you got a problem. He immediately addressed it, went over to the guy. I give him credit. And you could see, and the guy kind of was, you know, the employee was like shaking his head, went right back in, and the manager told me, he said, I appreciate you doing that. He said, we have very strict training on this. We emphasize it. Every single day, there's no excuse. I said, well, you know what you do? Here's how you, you set an example. Fire his ass. And I would fire the guy immediately if I saw that. All I'd say is, I tell you all once, you will wash your hands before and after you go to the, or, or after you go to the, the restroom. I don't care if you're handling something or whatever, wash your hands. It is disgusting. These are the same people that probably don't wash their hands as the ones that allow their disgusting, filthy bedsheets with all their body, dead skin to accumulate over six weeks, four weeks, four months, eight months. That's gross. And I'm telling you, men that don't wash... And I've called it out many times. I mean, I've seen guys co-walk. I go, hey, wait a minute. You're forgetting to do something. You should wash your hands. They're like, yeah, yeah, but I didn't touch anything. I said, you know what the germs that are, are in here, man? I said, you're going to probably touch, you know, you, you know, touch your, uh, eat something with your hands. I said, hey, no problem. You want to catch uh, hepatitis, be my guest. Okay, yeah, you're right. Shame them. Shame men. And this goes for women. My female friends tell me there are many women that don't wash their hands. It is disgusting. What do I do before I eat? At any restaurant, I wash my hands. What do I do immediately afterwards? I wash my hands. 
It is all about being a sanitary alpha male. I don't want germs and all sorts of nonsense floating around. And what's the number one way to prevent catching colds and the flu and other things? Wash your hands. And by the way, change your bed sheets. To those beta males thinking it's great not to change your bed sheets every four or eight months, you are disgusting. You are not worthy of being in the male species. Get out. Get out. Alphas, we know better. As always, don't forget, make sure you subscribe to the Cigar Dave Show podcast. Give us five stars because the enemies of pleasure are always lurking and they're trying to put bad ratings every so often, so make sure that you give us a five-star rating. As always, should you care to communicate with me, Cigar Dave at CigarDave.com. Make sure you follow us at Twitter at Cigar Dave Show. Social, uh, Truth Social and Getter at Cigar Dave. Facebook, Cigar Dave. Instagram, Cigar Dave. And speaking of Cigar Dave, Cigar Dave the General saying, Mayor Humidor always be full. Mayor Cutter always be sharp. Mayor Ashby extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Tomorrow, my Buffalo Bills will take on the Miami Dolphins in the AFC wild card. Buffalo Bills, it is your time. Squish the fish. And if government officials want to take away my gas cooktop and range, think again. Over my dead body, will you take away my gas range? Live it up!